Hey everybody, it's me, Erica. And Rachel. And this is Story Crime. I am doing well. Uh, finally getting to leave work with all of my coworkers since leaving my second job is so lovely. Yay, I'm happy um, for you. So just to clarify, I for anyone who doesn't know, I've been working, I work in a school, but I also work at the daycare within the school. So I've been staying after work every day for the last three years and helping out in that program as well. So it was so nice to be able to leave at 3.30 today instead of six o'clock. Yay! I miss those kids terribly. I love that. I loved working in that program, but it's what a relief <laughs> to get to just come home. So... Yeah, yeah, I bet. Well, that's good. Day. Get to enjoy your afternoon. Anyways, how was your weekend, birthday girl? It was good. Thanks for coming I to know. celebrate with me. I hope you had fun. I had lots of fun, except for that funny DJ story that we've been <laughs> laughing about. <laughs> <laughs> care to share i do care to share i will i will let you know um so i went to go request a song for rachel at the club we were at and you guys don't know rachel very well but she's a big tupac fan so i went up to the dj booth and i said hey i'd like to send out a song to my friend rachel it's her birthday and the dj looks at me and says i don't have a microphone and i looked back at him and said i don't want you to sing it <laughs> I don't know why I find that so funny. And to which he said, oh, okay. I, I Request was, granted. I was a little confused because I thought, I think he genuinely thought I wanted him to sing it to her. I'm not really sure what was happening there, but here we are. We got the song played yep. and well, a snippet of the song played. That's true. The guy kept cutting all the songs off. It was really, but he was playing good tunes and that's, I think made it even worse. Yeah. Like, oh, right at the good part. But otherwise it was a really fun weekend. I'm glad we got to do that. Even though well, it was good. short. I'm glad. Yeah. Thanks for coming. Before we get started today with our 10th episode, I can't believe we've wow. stuck to this. 10 episodes, Erica. Woo! For 10 weeks, <laughs> we've stuck by... I can't believe I've had time to do it for 10 consecutive weeks. Yeah, you've done good. Unreal. So before we get into that, I just needed to like express my gratitude to the entertainment gods right now mm -hmm. for all of the true crime shows that are coming out over the next few weeks or uh. have already aired. So I don't know if you know, but the Staircase documentary about Michael Peterson. Oh, no. It's being turned into a docudrama stalling Colin Firth. Oh, not I'm, mad at it. <laughs> yeah. And he's going to be playing Michael Peterson. I'm not really sure who else is in the show, but all I heard was Colin Firth and The Staircase. And I was like, done. It's Sold. happening. Sold. Um, there's also a documentary coming out called Captive Nation, I think, or Captivated. I can't remember. One of those. Mm -hmm. And I know you probably don't know who these guys are, but it's the Stainer Brothers. And mm -hmm. it's a wild story that I want to uh, cover on this podcast eventually. But 
that's coming out. I think that's coming out today, actually, as we're Ooh. recording. And then the John Wayne Gacy documentary mm-hmm. that is premiering. Yeah. Again, like I said to you before, I don't think it's going to give me any new information, but I definitely am going to watch it because why wouldn't I? Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's a good way to kill a few hours. He is definitely one of the big big names i think like besides the guy we're going to be covering today if you ask someone who has like zero knowledge in true crime a serial killer that they would know they're probably going to say jeffrey Dahmer. or oh yeah not jeffrey Dahmer. John... <laughs> they're probably going to say john wayne gacy and then they'll probably say jeffrey Dahmer, mm-hmm. and then they'll probably say ted bundy yeah so i'm pretty pumped to watch that and then there's also like a BTK. I don't know if it's already out, but I was just sort of like browsing online for different documentaries. And there's a BTK one that's coming out too. Mm-hmm. Um, the one about that girl that killed her, had her boyfriend kill himself or whatever. Mm-hmm. That one I think is already out with Elle mm-hmm. Fanning. Yeah. And um, one other one. Oh, Cosby? Chasing Cosby? Something oh. like that. Or We Need to Talk About Cosby? Anyways, Whoa. it looks fucking interesting. I'm pretty excited. Like... If you're looking for me, I'm, I'm <laughs> in my in front of the TV. <laughs> I'm in my blanket fort watching things on Netflix or on my computer streaming true crime. So good to know. Anyways, I kind of gave it away earlier who we're covering today. So <laughs> a little Freudian slip. Yeah, we're going to be talking about Jeffrey Dahmer, the the Milwaukee fucking cannibal, and it's going to be a two-parter for a show because. Oh. There is so much. I was working for hours on writing this, and I am just like a smidgen of the way where we're going to end today is just a fraction of what we need to cover to understand the story. I'm not going to be presenting too many new things to you guys because, I'll be honest, this case has been done to death, but I just think this is, it's such a huge case, and, you know, if you're anything like me... Every time you you read or watch something about this, you do kind of pick up something new. So, yeah. Well, and let I, me get comfortable. Do you know anything? Do you know much about Jeffrey Dahmer, Rachel? Just that's the the freezer incident when it, the cop was screaming, right? Yeah. And yeah, that's all I really know. Oh, okay. So this is good. You'll be experiencing this yeah. almost like for the first time. Yeah. And we I won't can't... even... We won't even get to that point in the story today. So oh, <laughs> wow. Stay tuned. <laughs> yeah. So without further ado, let's get right into Jeffrey Dahmer so that we're not here until next Tuesday. Sound good? <laughs> Sounds good. All right. So Jeffrey Dahmer was born on May 21st, 1960 in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And his parents' his parents' names were Lionel and Joyce Dahmer. Mm-hmm. So Jeff was described as a fairly normal, happy, and outgoing kid until he turned around three years old. Oh, so it didn't last too long. <laughs> so apparently around this age, he had underwent a surgery for a double hernia. And his father has speculated in interviews that he did after Jeff's arrest that Jeffrey, his understanding of the surgery may have had a very significant impact on his son's life. He stated that he didn't understand what was happening to his body, and Jeffrey was really concerned that this during the surgery, they were going to cut his penis off. Oh. So at three years old, very worried about this. Right. And then they didn't really explain the surgery to him either, so this, like, poor kid, you know, like, I don't really feel bad for Jeffrey Dahmer and a lot for a lot of things, but three-year-old guy, three-year-old Jeff... Yeah, kind of he's a little traumatized. A little bit, yeah. So... 
After his surgery, Jeff's father said that there was a notable change in his son's demeanor, and he became really shy and reserved from that point forward, and just really, like, non-social, just didn't want to be around the other kids and, and all of that, so. Mm-hmm. But the Dahmer family was, by all accounts, described as being an average, well-adjusted, middle-class family from Wisconsin, like, nothing out of the ordinary there. Lionel, his father, was working on advanced degrees in chemistry at Marquette University during Jeff's early years, leaving him little time to spend with his family and Lionel has admitted that all of this time he spent away has really it's been a source of real deep regret for him throughout the years especially after Jeff was arrested and the things he was arrested for Mm -hmm. so when Jeffrey was only two years old Lionel was actually offered an assistantship through Iowa State University something that just was way too good to turn down Mm -hmm. so in 1962 Lionel moved the family from Milwaukee to Ames, Iowa. Okay. So Jeffrey's mother, Joyce, was a stay-at-home mom, but sources said that she had many struggles of her own that prevented her from forming a really solid bond with her son. So during most of Jeff's formative years, it speculated that there was a real feeling of disconnect between him and both of his parents. All right. So already some attachment issues mixed with that little traumatic experience okay recipe starting there yeah so and i don't want to go into too much of joyce's mental health issues um there's a lot of back and forth about what she was going through lionel has said a lot in a a book that he wrote called um a father's journey i believe is what that Mm. book is called about what joyce was going through when jeff was a young child Mm -hmm. and she disputes all of that in subsequent interviews after jeff's arrest so i i don't want to speculate too much on that and plus people have mental health problems there's nothing wrong with that parents are humans too but there was definitely an impact on jeffrey from a young age because of this. So so things weren't always peachy in the Dahmer home. With Lionel constantly busy with work and school, the marriage between Jeffrey's parents was constantly in a state of turmoil, leaving Jeffrey smack dab in the middle of two fighting adults, often left to fend for himself in one way or another. Oh, just keeps adding to the pile. Yeah. In 1966, when Lionel finally finished his PhD, he was offered a full-time position working in his field, and the family relocated to Doylestown, Ohio, to begin their new life. So this had a really positive impact on the relationship between Joyce and Lionel, and things started to look up for the Dahmer family once again, and with the introduction of a new baby, Jeff's uh, younger brother, David, the family was starting to feel pretty whole. Nice. Well, congrats to them. Yeah. So Jeffrey actually got to name David. Oh, adorable. The marital bliss between Joyce and Lionel was short-lived, though, and shortly after Jeff's brother was born, the fighting started again, resulting in Joyce and Lionel moving into separate rooms in the house. Uh Uh-oh. And Lionel spending yet again more and more time away from home. Not good. Not good at all. Around this time, Jeff started to show a new growing interest of his own, similar kind of to what his dad did for a living, sort of science-y. Mm-hmm. So Jeffrey started to become very interested in animals. Oh, no. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. Kids like animals. No biggie. No, I know. But given that we know where this is going, yeah. that's not a great sign. <laughs> so he really liked dead ones dead animals Mm. that is and according to an interview with lionel at a young age probably around six or seven jeff was very curious about an animal carcass that they had found under the house 
Gross. He wanted to know what would happen to the bones if they bleached them. Oh. It's a weird question for a six-year-old to ask. Yeah, but... very. So thinking that his son was a budding scientist, Lionel indulged in his son's interests, and together they boiled and bleached the bones of this dead animal. Oh. <laughs> and Jeff would carry them around in a bucket, and all of his family members would call the bones Jeff's fiddlesticks. Oh, no. I mean, I'm all for a learning opportunity, but that might have just gone too far. The fiddlesticks really makes me laugh. Just these dead animal bones. Where's your fiddlesticks, Jeff? Jesus Christ. That was a bird. That was a bird? Yeah, I'm really, like, (laughs) flying. I'm really jumpy today. (laughs) Oh, God. Okay. All right. So this interest in dead animals would continue throughout Jeffrey's childhood. He would collect animals that he found on the road or in the woods behind his house. And he said he was interested in seeing what was inside of them. And would spend, yeah, he would spend hours dissecting the animals and exploring their insides. So we're talking like roadkill and shit that he would find just outside Already on the dead. road. Yeah. Okay. Instead of being creeped out by his son's new hobby, Lionel was ecstatic. Okay. I mean, career path, maybe. Yeah, well, exactly. He was thinking that Jeff was showing clear signs of one day becoming a doctor or biologist, and he really enjoyed... Yeah. He really enjoyed spending all this extra time with his son, just watching him develop what he thought was knowledge for a future career in this sciencey field. Boy, was he wrong. (laughs) So... As we all know, an early indication of future future serial killers is the abuse, torture, and killing of animals. It's one of the things that's in the McDonald mm-hmm. triad, along with bed bedwetting and fire starting, I think. So it's important to note that with Jeffrey, he wasn't doing, like, he wasn't doing the killing of these animals, right? right. So by all accounts, it seemed that Jeff would only dissect and explore the animals once they were already dead. So okay. he wouldn't go ahead and find, there were some sources that said that he would like kill neighbor's dogs and like decapitate them and put their heads on sticks. Oh. I I don't know. In most sources, it doesn't say that. And okay. I, I'm going to go with what most sources are because I don't want to think of a poor doggo being yeah. beheaded and having their head put on a stick. Fair enough. Badness. Fair style. Yeah. However, in the book I read by Jack Rosewood, there is a really interesting story. And I don't know if I agree fully with Jack Rosewood on this, but I will read you the story and you kind of can tell me your opinion. Okay. So this is a quote right from the book. It says, when he was seven years old, Dahmer brought a teacher a bucket of tadpoles. And like any adult given such a present, the teacher thanked the young Dahmer and gave the tadpoles to another student. The future serial killer quickly learned that his gift to his teacher had been rejected. The student who received the tadpoles was Dahmer's best friend. When no one was around, Dahmer dumped motor oil into the bucket and killed all the tadpoles. Hmm. So Rosewood points out that while Jeff didn't normally kill the animals that he was experimenting with, this situation could point out a clear lack of empathy on Jeff's part for both animals and fellow humans alike at an extremely young age. Hmm. So I don't know if you agree with that or if this is just, you know, rivalry, like, or jealousy that the teacher was like oh thanks for the gift now here you take it because i don't want your tadpoles yeah probably and jeff was like what the hell that wasn't for you now they all must die yeah yeah so i don't know if that's like necessarily a total i mean knowing where jeffrey Dahmer ended up maybe Mm -hmm. but i've worked with a lot of kids who have done a lot of like really weird shit like that and as far as I know, they're okay. <laughs> well, and even just giving the gift is some sort of empathy showing, right? right? Yeah. So, yeah. 
So as Jeff grew into a teenager, his unusual interest in animals only grew larger. He started attending Revere High School in Bath, Ohio when in grade nine. As well. mm-hmm. While he was in high school, he was described as being kind of a loner with very few friends, although in uh, later interviews after he was arrested, he would dispute this, saying that he had a very active social life. But most who knew him described him as being kind of a loner. Mm-hmm. His teacher said that he was a pretty bright student who had potential and was more or less polite, but his grades were no better than average. Although he was known as a loner, many classmates actually remember Jeff as being a bit of a class clown, often pulling elaborate pranks and shenanigans around the school. So one of the things he would do is fake seizures just for the shit of it, just to oh. like get reactions out of people. And he would do other weird, th- weird things like draw chalk outlines of bodies and lie in them in the middle weird. of the hallway. Just like weird shit. Um, he photobombed. This is like a pretty like common story you'll hear is that he photobombed a bunch of like yearbook photos like of groups. <laughs> and so there's one photo of him. I forget which group it is, but you can see what they did is after they realized he wasn't part of this group that he mm-hmm. had jumped in the photo with, they blacked out his face oh. and printed the yearbook with a blacked out face. So it's kind of like eerie. It was almost like foreshadowing. Yeah, really. <laughs> but kind of hilarious that he went around photobombing everybody. Yeah. You know what they say about like people that are class clowns like that? They're often the saddest, most oh. alone, alone feeling people. Hmm. You know, you look mm-hmm. at somebody like Robin Williams, who was always on, always a comedian. Right. But felt the most alone. Anyways. Rest in peace, Robin. But in Jeffrey's case, who cares? Right. He's an asshole. He's an ass. Yeah. Um, he enjoyed some extracurriculars, of course, like any kid, but his real interests were not something he could indulge in during school hours. <laughs> you mean ripping carcasses up at school isn't accepted? Yeah, well... Jeff's favorite class in high school was, unsurprisingly, biology. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Jeff describes the experience of the, the dissection of the fetal pig, as we all have done at mm-hmm. one point or another. I didn't have to do it. I opted out. Oh. Well, you... Mm. Not to sound like a real Jeffrey Dahmer around here, but <laughs> I loved it. <laughs> I actually... Gross. Like, I really did enjoy it, I, I, but it was like a one and done. There, after I did it once, I didn't have to do it again. Mm-hmm isn't the case for jeff in fact the dissection of the fetal pig was a real turning point in his life in an interview uh jeff is quoted as saying in ninth grade in biology class we had the usual dissection of fetal pigs i took the remains of that home and kept the skeleton and i just started branching out dogs cats i suppose it could have turned into a normal hobby like taxidermy but it didn't it veered off into this why i don't know And then he goes on to say, I wanted to see what the insides of these animals look like. And he says this, if you watch this interview, because you can, this this is, a lot of these quotes are from an interview with Stone Phillips from 1994, right before Jeffrey Dahmer uh, died, because spoiler alert, he's dead. He's very calm, logical, easygoing, just talking about it like it's anything else that you would talk about, like going to the mall or, you know, when he talks about this fetal pig, it's like a keepsake that you have from like... You know, an antique from your grandparents. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to keep just, it forever. It's no big deal. Yeah. Just, just pig skull. Exactly. At the young age of 14, Jeff started drinking heavily and at all hours of the day, often bringing alcohol to school. Oh. So this guy had no shame whatsoever. Did not care. So, sounds like it. He would be sitting right in the middle of class drinking scotch out of a styrofoam cup. Wow. Bold. Top- Top of the line shit. 
Yes. And he would also keep like flasks and, and bottles of liquor and beer and cans of beer and all that in his locker. And when other classmates would be like, what the hell are you doing, Jeff? Like, are you drinking? I can smell it. The teachers are going to catch on. Yeah. He would tell his classmates that it was his medicine. <laughs> okay. All right, Gramps. Yeah. What? <laughs> so the 70s were a truly different time. Very. Because when Jeff was caught drunk out of his mind at school, he was basically given a slap on the wrist by his teachers. Oh, gosh. So, like, it... In the 70s, it wasn't unusual for kids to experiment with alcohol. It still isn't, to Mm -hmm. be honest. Mm -hmm. But it would seem at this point that Jeff was using alcohol to self-medicate, and he was becoming an alcoholic, likely to suppress some urges Uh of the homicidal type. So it really was his medicine. It really was. Um, And he also had some other sexual desires Mm -hmm. that we will talk about. So from his early teenage years, so probably like maybe even before high school, mm-hmm. Jeff knew that he was homosexual. Nothing wrong with that. No. Okay. And while he never came out to his family, he also never denied to himself that he was interested in men. So he never told anyone, but he never tried to like play it straight. Do you right. know what I mean? Didn't have yeah. girlfriends to sort of cover it up, any of that kind of stuff. At the age of 14, Jeff had his first homosexual experience making out with another boy in the neighborhood. Good for him. Yeah. But this is also when his fantasies of sex kind of intertangled with violence would start manifesting themselves. Oh, no. Not and, good for him. Yeah. And Jeff said in interviews that these fantasies would become an obsession from him, for mm. him from that point on. I don't like that. So at one point when Jeff was about 16 or 17, he noticed that every day there was this jogger that would run by his house and always at the same time. And he would fantasize often about raping and murdering this man. Oh, so it took him a while, but he did finally get up the nerve to make his fantasy a reality. And he would sit out on the side of the road with a baseball bat and wait for hours for this unsuspecting jogger to run by at which point he planned to use the baseball bat to render him unconscious and just like enact his vicious plan on him (laughs) luckily for the jogger he he took the day off he did not go by that day oh child yeah and thankfully thankfully and jeffrey ended up losing his nerve and never tried that again wow so like the life choice of that jogger to not go out that day. Like, you know how you can make choices and you can either do or you don't or whatever, but like that was a turning point choice for him. Holy cow. And I wonder if he even knows that he was that jogger. Right? (laughs) That's crazy. Wow. In 1978, when Jeff was in his last year of high school, his parents would finally call their marriage quits, probably for the best. Probably, yeah. There's a lot of not good times between Lionel and Joyce throughout Mm. the years. So Lionel would move out of the family home into a hotel, followed shortly after by Joyce, who took David, the younger sibling, with her. So Jeff, 
was left alone in his house, basically abandoned by everyone. Wait, well, why did mom leave the house? Um, apparently, in some sources, I read that she was going to get some help for her mental health issues. Okay. And so she had moved out. But because of something going on in the divorce, or the divorce hadn't been finalized yet, and because of that, Lionel wasn't allowed to live in the house. Right. For some reason. And Jeff Jeff was 18 at this point, so he okay. could be left alone. But everybody in the family left, and they, here's Jeff just living in the family house by himself at 18, right? Wow. But and he might have thought, hey, that's jackpot. Well, I'm that's 18 a- now, have a house. Well, exactly. And I literally wrote that. I said <laughs> it didn't necessarily upset the 18-year-old. Like most teenagers probably would be, he was happy to have a sense of freedom and independence. But Unagi. <laughs> Unagi. But unlike most teenagers, Jeff would use this new sense of freedom to indulge in his morbid fantasies. Oh, no. So over the years, Jeff's interest in rape and murder would only intensify, and he began to obsess over the idea of picking up a hitchhiker and having his way with him. Oh, gosh, no. Uh, on January 18th, 1978, this fantasy would become all too real. Hmm. So the day started out like no other um, for Jeff. Oh, no, wait. The day started out like any other for Jeff. He woke up. Yeah. The day started, <laughs> started out, out like, like no, no other. other. <laughs> okay. Okay. The day started out like any other for Jeff. He woke up in the morning. He immediately started drinking. He got drunk out of his mind, and when he ran out of beer, he decided to drive to the store to replenish his stash. Oh, good. Smart choices. Normal day. Mm-hmm. On his way home, he spotted a hitchhiker, and at first, mm. well, at first he drove by, kind of considering his options, thinking, oh, should I, shouldn't I? Uh. What if I have whiskey dick? <laughs> <laughs> but he quickly turned around and picked up the attractive young man who was walking mm. down the road. Damn it. And it was like this particularly hot day. So I guess this guy was working without a shirt on and Jeff was just like, yeah. oh, this is too good to he be He just true. looked tasty. No pun intended. <laughs> the hitchhiker was 18-year-old Stephen Hicks and he was trying to hitch a ride to Cleveland to a concert. Um, so he was hoping to go straight through so that he wouldn't be late for a show. But somehow Dahmer was able to convince this guy to come back to his house with him oh, for no. drinks. So after after all the after all of this and after Jeff's arrest, people who knew Stephen had come out and said that he was a really street smart guy, and he would have never agreed to go with Jeffrey to his home. And they wondered like what it was that mm-hmm. sort of persuaded him to go. But Jeffrey became really well known later for having this charm and charisma to disarm even the most street wise of man, oh, right wow. into doing or the most street wise of men into doing whatever he wanted them to. Just mm-hmm. like a very dangerous personality trait for someone like Jeffrey Dahmer. Very. When the two arrived at Jeffrey's home, they enjoyed some drinks and Jeff began to formulate a plan of how he would make his fantasy come to life. So he planned to get Stephen as drunk as possible and essentially take advantage of him. But eventually Stephen, he had enough and just wanted to go and get to the concert like he was planning. Yeah, smart, smart. So when Stephen got up to leave, Jeff tried to stop him and like a small scuffle kind of ensued at that point. Mm-hmm. And Jeff is a pretty big guy, but so was Steven and Steven was in really good shape and okay. he was able to get Jeff off of him, which is great. So he started heading to the door, but when his back was turned to Jeff, Jeffrey picked up a dumbbell that he was on oh. the floor, 
where they were and struck him on the back of the head with it. Oh, gosh, no. The blow to the head killed Stephen immediately, and Jeff was now left with a new problem. What in the hell was he going to do with a dead body in the middle of his parents' house? Oh, yeah. But, yeah. Oh. Yeah. Poor Stephen. Mm-hmm. And, like, his death, I think, would go unsolved until Jeffrey basically confessed. Wow. Yeah, almost 20 years later. So, during interviews with police, Jeff said that he laid next to the body for several hours before becoming sexually aroused and masturbating. Oh, uh, what? Yeah. Once all of his urges were satisfied, he set out to make a plan to dispose of Stephen's body. Mm. Now, as it turns out, the cleaning and disposing of his victims was the part of Jeffrey's crimes that he enjoyed the most. Oh, come on. He would say later that he didn't actually enjoy the act of murder. It was just a means to an end in order to satisfy what he really desired. Jeff would end up spending hours with Stephen Hicks' body, dissecting and dismembering him in the bathtub of his family home. He found the entire process extremely sexually stimulating and would take his time to just enjoy himself throughout the whole thing. Oh my god, that is so disgusting. But all good things must come to an end, as one might say. Mm-hmm. And knowing that his father would be stopping by for a visit, Jeff, who took a page right out of John Wayne Gacy's How to Dispose of a Body Handbook, right. would end up burying Stephen's body under his house in the small crawl space where it would stay for several months. Oh my gosh. Yikes. He would later dig up Stephen's body, dissolve the remains in acid, and any bones that weren't dissolved, he smashed to bits with a sledgehammer and scattered in the... Mo- scattered them in the woods behind his house while he danced and twirled in a circle like some sort of ritual so fucking strange but he loved this part of it it's so fucked up rachel and he's oh just like standing out there dancing in in the woods behind his boner probably oh he's so gross uh in jeff's mind The murder of Stephen Hicks proved to him that he was capable of committing the perfect crime. No one saw him pick up Stephen, nor did anyone know that he even knew the guy because he was a hitchhiker. It was, yeah. He essentially got away with murder. And he did for years. Like I said, this went unsolved until Jeffrey confessed. They would have never known that it was him. Soon after the murder, Lionel and Joyce's divorce divorce was finalized, and Lionel moved back into the family home with his son, completely oblivious about what had happened in his living room. <laughs> Imagine. Short time before. And although Jeff wouldn't kill again for almost nine years, he was quoted later as saying, once it happened the first time, it just seemed like it had control of my life from there on in. Wow. When Jeff's father moved back into the family home with his son, he was disgusted by the state the place had become, littered with empty beer bottles and liquor bottles, and he was concerned about his son's appearance, which, noticing that the once seemingly put-together teenager had become a total mess in his absence, because, like, the guy wasn't eating, he was drinking booze and pouring beer on his cereal, basically. So Lionel thought that his son had real potential, but had just become a lazy drunk. Mm Mm-hmm. Eventually, in an attempt to get Jeff back on the straight and narrow, Lionel convinced him to enroll in college. And in the fall of 1978, Jeff moved into a dorm room and started taking classes at Ohio State University. Hmm. It's a real supportive dad. Yeah. Dahmer chose, and he is a supportive dad because he stayed like by his son's side mm-hmm. throughout everything. Oh, really? I wow. don't know. If I found out somebody, if I had a kid and I found out they did what Jeffrey Dahmer did, I'm like yeah. changing my name. Yeah, no. 
don't know yeah. you. Don't Sorry. know who you are. I mean, I say that without being a parent, but... Of course, but also don't know you. Yeah. <laughs> so Dahmer chose to major in business, but spent, unsurprisingly, hardly any time in class. I mean, no surprise there at yeah. all. He didn't have any friends, and he would usually just hang out in his dorm room, getting smashed all by himself and fantasizing about murder. Wow. Mm-hmm. When Lionel made a surprise visit to Jeff later that year, he found his son, like, just out of his mind on alcohol, surrounded by empties, and Lionel got the impression that maybe college wasn't for his son? Hmm. Or at least maybe not living in a dorm. Yeah. Jeffrey ended up dropping out of college and moving home. Shock. Oh. Shocker. Right. Shocker of the whole story. After moving home and realizing he had run out of funds to pay for his drinking habits, Jeff did the only reasonable thing he can think of. Join the military. Oh, right. Great. Yep. So Great. after... Yeah. Well, and Jeffrey was already a pretty, like, decent-sized guy, right? So he had no problem passing basic training. And then he was stationed in Fort McClellan in Alabama before transfer transferring to Fort Sam Houston in Texas. He initially wanted to become a military policeman. Mm. Fucking ironic. Mm -hmm. But was eventually funneled into the combat medical program instead. Also fucking ironic. Yeah, he's going to stick his fingers in, like, bullet holes and stuff. Blech. He probably was popping huge boners if he had to do that. Oh, God. Jeff actually started out doing really well in the military, and it seemed to be a good change of pace in his life. He was drinking a lot less and received good reports from his commanding officers. He, oh, good. Yeah. He even managed to become friendly with other, um, like, of his, with his fellow soldiers. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until he was stationed in Germany that his old habits seemed to come back to haunt him. Mm -hmm. um, he began drinking heavily again, and his once clean service record began to take a really huge, serious nosedive. Oh, no. He was also accused of some pretty disturbing crimes in Germany, but I'm going to come back to that at the end when I talk about some of the other things that went on throughout this whole Jeffrey Dahmer saga. Okay. But just remember that there were some things in Germany. In case I forget, you can remind me. Okay. Noted. Germany. Got yeah. it. Eventually, his drinking became a real problem on the base, and after several warnings and reprimands, Jeff was discharged in March of 1981 for violations of the military's drug and alcohol abuse policies. Mm -hmm. After being discharged, Jeff was given a one-way ticket anywhere to where he wanted to go to the, in the United States. Hmm. So he was obviously really ashamed and was too embarrassed to face his family, so he didn't tell them he was discharged, and he decided that he would fly where anyone would go if they got kicked out of the military. Milwaukee. Mi Miami. Oh. Another <laughs> He wanted to potty. At first, Jeffrey really enjoyed living in Miami. Like, he loved the beach. He loved the I mean, sun. wouldn't? Yeah. Yeah. He got himself a job at a sandwich shop, and he was known as a relatively reliable employee, and he mm. got a room in a boarding house and was feeling really good. He would spend his time off drinking and picking up men and kind of living his best life at the time yeah. but as always his alcoholism would take control of his life and if he showed up for work at all he would show up late and he would still be drunk from the night before and this resulted in him of course getting fired from the sub shop mm -hmm. and without a job any money he had left over from being in the military he spent on booze Ooh. and he eventually got evicted from his boarding house because he couldn't pay rent yeah Makes this sense. Right. And this would leave him homeless. And he would sleep on the beach for a time, but he was used to a more middle class way of life. Mm -hmm. And apparently after one night when a rat like crawled across his face. Ugh. Yeah, it scared the bejesus out of him. And he finally just broke down and called his dad. Yeah, 
That would Uh, do it. Yep. He came clean about being discharged from the military and asked to come home and Lionel, even though he wanted to help his son and make sure that he was taking responsibility for his actions and being accountable, he still Mm -hmm. agreed to take him home. He welcomed him back into the house with uh, open arms. Of course. But when Jeff returned to Ohio, there was a lot of changes that had taken place in the Dahmer household. So Lionel had remarried, and there's some conflicting reports on the relationship between his new wife and Lionel's children. Hmm. But what I read most is that she did accept his kids. So Jeffrey, she she was accepting of him. I read some sort in some sources that she hated him and was a real bitch, but I don't know. I don't know her, right. so I don't want to comment too we much. We can't on that. judge. Yeah. So. Moving back in, there was a lot of rules that were going to be placed on Jeff. Um, First, he had to slow down on the drinking, obviously. They Mm -hmm. didn't want a drunk living in their house. Next, he was expected to get a job and contribute to the household in some way, whether it's through chores or whatever. Mm -hmm. Money, whatever he could. So Jeff agreed to these terms, and for a while, things were working out. But not to sound like a broken record here, they didn't (laughs) stay that way for long. Because as it turns out, all of that time that Jeff said he was out job hunting... He was actually going out and spending his days drinking in parks and bars and what have you. Of course. Things really hit a fever pitch when Jeff was arrested for drunken disorderly conduct. Apparently he was like drunkenly wandering around town just harassing people. So like any concerned parent of an alcoholic adult child, Lionel decided that it would be best if Jeff moved out to live with his elderly, very elderly grandmother. Oh my god. I don't know. What? I don't know, Lionel. I don't know if it's safe for grandma. Why are you putting that on grandma? Yeah. I know. She she done raised her kids. She doesn't need that. No. So Lionel believed that living with his elderly grandparent would give him a sense of purpose, helping his grandmother with chores and and going to church with her and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Jeff moved into an upstairs room at his grandmother's house. And for the first few months, the arrangement was kind of a win-win for everyone, actually. Hmm. Jeff would continue his heavy drinking, but grandma would seem to look the other way for some reason. Because she done raised her kids. (laughs) Yeah, she does not need to deal with your bullshit. Also, Jeff was legitimately looking for a job this time, which is good. Eventually landing a position as a phlebotomist. A who? A phlebotomist. Do you know what that job is? I absolutely do not. It is. So a phlebotomist is somebody who works with blood. So he was at the Milwaukee Blood Plasma Center. Gross. Okay. But unfortunately, his position at the Plasma Center was eliminated after 10 months, at which point Jeff, of course, found himself unemployed again. Mm-hmm. I mean, good for the people who can handle that blood job, but for oh, him... Oh, he, he could handle it. Yeah. For him, me. maybe we shouldn't fuel the fire. <laughs> he would later find work at the Ambrosia Chocolate Factory in Milwaukee, working the midnight shift, a job he would have up until his final arrest in 1993. I mean, if you're going to settle on a job, it might as well be a chocolate factory. Dom or chocolates. That's what they were <laughs> eating in Wisconsin in Gross. the 80s. during the time that he was living with his grandmother jeffrey tried to suppress his homicidal urges sources say that one of the more bizarre ways that jeffrey tried to quench his thirst for blood was by (laughs) (laughs) stealing samples from the blood clinic i knew you were gonna say that he's been (laughs) drinking he's vampiring the shit out of that blood clinic he was literally quenching his thirst for blood just so everyone knows that is so nasty another thing he did that is kind of weird he ended up buying himself a 357 magnum revolver 
to use as target practice. I don't know what he was shooting. Guys, they didn't go into much more detail than that. Good. I can imagine it was probably raccoons that he later dissected. When Lionel found out that his son, who he knew had a problem with alcohol, had a dangerous weapon accessible to him in his grandmother's house, no less, Mm -hmm. he went into Jeff's room and basically took the gun, and Jeff did not put up a fight. He was very respectful of his elders. Good. I like Lionel. Jeff would also start acting out in other ways to satiate his need for sexual deviancy. Satiate. What a word. I love that word. Wow. Satiate. Just. mm. It's like, I've been looking to satiate my desire for, um, what's that shit we ate on your birthday? Oh, Indian food. Yeah, but what was the specific one? No, we got oh, tikka masala. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. I've been looking to satiate that desire for <laughs> five days. Mm. In August of 1992, while attending a city festival, Jeff got stupid drunk and decided it was a really great idea to walk into a large group of women and children and pull down his pants and expose himself to Stop all Stop it. No, he did not. <laughs> <laughs> no, ma'am. Hey, no, ma'am. <laughs> no, spam. He was arrested and charged with a sex crime, but the charges were later downgraded to drunken disorderly conduct, conduct and he was hit with a $50 fine, which is <laughs> FYI, because I didn't pay my parking ticket on time, cheaper than my parking ticket. <laughs> That's such bullshit. <laughs> So now you know that Mm. you will not have to pay as much for exposing yourself to women and children as you will for a parking ticket. (laughs) You can just helicopter your dick in the middle of a street and you'll get off virtually scot-free. Yeah. Uh, So Jack Rosewood would say in his book about the incident, Dahmer's brush with the law taught him two things. The justice system was not holding him accountable and he needed to find new ways to satiate his desires. Okay. Yeah. Jeffrey would do just that, and eventually, Jeff would begin to indulge in his sexual desires by exploiting people in other ways. No. Okay. So, Milwaukee in the 1980s had a surprisingly thriving gay nightlife scene, Mm -hmm. and Jeff thought that he could use this to his advantage. He would frequent the many gay clubs and bathhouses looking for men, but quickly realized that simply having sex with a man wasn't meeting the needs that he had. What he really wanted was to have complete and utter control over the men he was sleeping with. At this time, he was trying to have his desires met without committing murder, and one of his techniques would be to drug unsuspecting men at bathhouses. I mean, at least he's not killing them, I'm going to say that, but still it's not, still not cool. No. This would obviously make the men totally submissive partners, which is what mm-hmm. Jeffrey loved, and he would rape them. Mm. When one of his victims suffered severe side effects from the sleeping drugs he and had to be hospitalized, word kind of got around the scene in Milwaukee that mm-hmm. Jeffrey was the one who had done it, and he was blacklisted essentially Good. from Good. a lot of the, from all of the bathhouses. Like Good. his membership was revoked, and a lot of the gay clubs like word got around, so mm-hmm. he wasn't particularly well liked at that time. Perfect. So now Jeff once again had to think outside the box. And one night while walking around the city, drunk as a skunk, he spotted an attractive male mannequin in a store display window. A mannequin? Yeah. I mean, I can can see how some mannequins are pretty good looking. Yeah. Yeah. When he saw it, he was ecstatic. He thought, okay, this is perfect. I'm not going to have to drug it. It won't move around, which he he fucking hated it when any his sex partners moved around he wanted right them to he preferred them still. dead and i can do whatever i want to it and it will never complain or file a police report or be upset it's or perfect bleed. Dahmer fell to the brim with excitement smashed the store window and ran home to his grandmother's house with his new sex mannequin imagine seeing that on the security cameras 
and on the streets just this man running with a mechanic uh, a mannequin (laughs) (laughs) no Uh, Jeff would use the mannequin for sexual purposes and the two formed a very strong healthy mostly consensual relationship mostly consensual sometimes Jeffrey didn't consent (laughs) it was a perfect win for Jeffrey as he viewed the mannequin the same way he viewed people as an object to be used for pleasure and pleasure only. Wow, no, the difference is plastic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but like all good things in Jeff's, li- in Jeff's life, this too would come to an end when Granny found his fine and animate friend. Oh no. She was a little creeped out by the fact that her 24-year-old grandson had a male mannequin in his closet and she made him throw it away without any questions. She didn't want to know. Why is this mannequin filled with cum? <laughs> She's like, I don't want to know what the fuck you're doing with this. Get it out of my house because it's weird and I'm creeped out by it. So Jeffrey, being ever respectful of grandma, as much as he could be, mm-hmm. did as he was told and he was once again back to the drawing board. I mean. Now, I don't know what you think about when you're having breakfast with grandma, but I'm going to tell you about what Jeff thinks about. Not okay? a sex toy. <laughs> well, enjoying a casual breakfast with granny one morning. Jeff had a true eureka moment while reading the obituaries. <gasps> We're going to get into Stop it. a little bit of that Gein territory here. Uh. He thought to himself, fuck, I'm just going to dig up a recently deceased young man no. and I'm going to use that. No. Okay, Don't I know do what it. you're thinking. I know what you're thinking. That's fucking Go disgusting. Go back to the mannequin. <laughs> I know you're thinking that's fucking disgusting. Mm-hmm. And I would have to agree with you. But. Mm-hmm. This idea turned Jeff's crank to the point where it was literally all he could think about. Oh, God. (laughs) Like, he was searching every day on the prowl, reading the obituaries, and it seemed, again, like the perfect solution for Jeffrey. So, this would be a real human, so he would get that human body feel that he's looking for. Like, um, oh, maybe in the 80s, but, like, they really make good sex dolls these days, you know? I know, but I don't know about the 80s. Well, what's her name? Linda Lovelace had a really good sex doll, didn't she? I don't know, but... that was would have been, like, the 70s, maybe, early 80s? Okay, so it's possible. Like, come on, shop around, Jeffrey. Well, and since um, the body that he was going to dig up was already, of course, dead... He wouldn't have to drug him, just like the mannequin. Right. The body right. wouldn't complain. And when he was done with the body, he wouldn't even have to murder it. Right. again, it's already dead. I hate this. This couldn't be more of a great plan. Brilliant. Right? right? So Jeff's, uh, he scoured the obituaries daily until he found the perfect subject. A recently deceased 18-year-old man who had been buried in a cemetery not far from his Gma's house. Uh, 18? Yeah. I I don't know what happened to the poor guy, but one evening, Jeff, under the cloak of darkness, snuck out of his granny's house, armed with his body snatching supplies and headed to the cemetery to dig up the young man's body. And like, it would have been six feet under. That's quite the dig. Yeah. Unfortunately for Jeff, but fortunately for you, Rachel, (laughs) he was, he grossly underestimated just how difficult it would be to (laughs) dig up an entire grave. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Now, yes. <laughs> like I said before, Jeff was a relatively strong and like well-built fit young guy. However, mm-hmm. he couldn't make headway. And after a lot of time giving it all he had, he got paranoid because he was out there for so long mm-hmm. that someone would see him. So we just gave up and went home. Good. Uh, he was don't defile this young man. Well, he was really frustrated by his failure and immediately started to try and come up with a new plan. Mm. 
He considered going back to the graveyard, but figured that he had left like a huge mess the night before and that somebody was probably going to be watching the graveyard for who the fuck is digging up bodies. And he thought about breaking into a morgue and grabbing a body that way, but he was too afraid of getting caught because at this point he's not a seasoned criminal. He doesn't know what he's doing. Right. Just take another mannequin, dude. Come on. Well, he was really lost about what to do, Rachel, and his urges were just growing stronger by the day. He's gross. (laughs) So gross. He's so gross. So in regular Jeffrey fashion, in September of 1986, Jeffrey decided that he would spend a lovely day getting drunk by the Kinnikinnick River, or for all of our fans in Milwaukee, if we have any, (laughs) the KK River. (laughs) Shout out out to Milwaukee. Not that anyone from there is probably (laughs) listening, but if you are, please message us. Hey, send me an email. I love them. He walked around doing... (laughs) He walked around doing what he enjoyed most, looking for unsuspecting citizens to victimize. As he was walking Uh along the shore of the river, he spotted two young boys playing. Now these boys were about 11 or 12, just to give you some. No, come on. Leave the kids alone. Jeffrey got the boys' attention. He was like, hey, guys, look at me. I'm Jeffrey. Look at me. And then he pulled down his pants and masturbated in front of them. Oh, stop it. What would you do? Okay, because... You remember when we were in grade school, they would always tell us if you ever, like, they would always show you that video of, like, the perv, like, trying to show his dick to you out of the bushes. And I'm like, I was always like, that doesn't actually happen. I've never walked by a bush and there's just a dick in my face. Like, dude, put your dick away. What's wrong with you? I'm a child. Yeah. Well, (laughs) these these kids were terrified and confused. Yeah. To say the least. least. Oh, (laughs) jinx. And quickly ran away and reported the incident to their parents and to the police. Oh, good. Smart kids. I like them. So Jeffrey would end up being arrested and charged with lewd and lascivious behavior and face the real threat of going to jail for a sex crime. Good. Somehow, Jeffrey was able to talk his way out of this one once again. Oh, fuck off. (laughs) The charges were downgraded to disorderly conduct and Jeff was again ordered to pay a fine and was placed on probation. Which was essentially nothing for him, as not once did he check in with his probation officer, or his probation officer ever check in on him. The 80s was a wild time. Fuck. His father and grandmother knew about this arrest, but Jeffrey was able to ease their concerns by telling them that he was just simply taking a piss when the boys saw him, and that he would never do something so disgusting in public, let alone in front of two kids. (sighs) Who did they think he was, Rachel? A bunny um, serial killer? Uh, who loved no. drugging? This is what I wrote. Who did they think he was, Rachel? A budding serial killer who liked drugging and raping unsuspecting men with a growing desire to fuck dead bodies and eat flesh? No? <laughs> Certainly not. <laughs> no? <laughs> not Jeffrey Dahmer. Come on, everyone. Bicep some Bicep Okay. <laughs> I can't speak. Hold on. Got excited. I got excited. <laughs> By September of 1987, it would seem that Jeffrey had exhausted every idea he could think of to satisfy his murderous urges, and things like mannequins and public masturbation just weren't cutting it for him anymore. Uh He had been basically run out of every bathhouse in town, so he was left looking for men in parks and gay bars as his only option. On September 15th, 1987, Dahmer would meet a man named Steve Tuomi at a gay club. Uh, This club was called U19, and it was one of Jeffrey's favorites. The two would have some drinks and play conversation before Jeff would suggest to Steve that the two of them should get a hotel room. Uh Uh-oh. So they left the bar and headed to the Ambassador Hotel in downtown Milwaukee, which... 
is apparently a really well-known hotel in the area and very swanky. Um, So the Mm. fact that Jeffrey offered to take Stephen there and pay for it, paired with Jeff's polite and considerate demeanor, basically disarmed any concern that Steve may have had for his own safety, and he willingly went with Jeff to the hotel. Of course. Sounds like a fun night for Steve. Yeah. Unfortunately, this would be a fatal mistake for Steve Tuomi. Oh, no. (laughs) Oh, no. He would never be seen alive again. Fuck. According to police interviews after his arrest, Jeffrey had planned to drug and rape Steve once they were in the hotel room, but after continuing to drink, Jeff got so obliterated that he passed out. Oh. Now, no one knows what really happened during that night, but when Jeffrey awoke the next morning, he found Steve on the bed next to him dead. Wait, what? Yeah, and this is something that Jeff Jeffrey Dahmer has always, ha, up until he died, has this story has never changed. He's always told this story in every interview, every interrogation, every piece of his <laughs> part of his confession. He's like, listen, I've killed a lot of people, but I, I cannot take credit for this one. Well, he takes credit for it, but he has no idea how it happened. Oh. Okay? His chest was crushed and there was blood coming out of his mouth and Dahmer mm. was left stupefied. He had no memory of what had happened the night before, and now he realized that he had a dead body on his hands to deal with. Oh, his specialty. Or his favorite. (laughs) Yeah. Well, he went into a total panic at first, because he's still a little drunk, right? Mm -hmm. And he doesn't know what to do. He's in a hotel. This isn't at grandma's house or at his own house. But he wasn't panicking because he had killed a man. He panicked because he had to quickly think of a plan to cover it up, right? And he had a huge boner, I'm sure. (laughs) Yeah, probably. (laughs) After sipping some coffee, Jeffrey threw the do not disturb sign on the hotel room door and left Stephen's body in the hotel room while he set out to buy a large suitcase. Mm. Now, his initial plan was to try and dismember the body in the hotel room. But once he got back there, he realized that he could fit Stephen in the bag while, while he was still intact. Fuck. So he loaded him in and left the Ambassador Hotel. He ended up flagging down a cab because he didn't have a car with him. Mm -hmm. And he got the driver to actually load the suitcase into the trunk. Can can you imagine lifting that up not knowing? I'm not going to lie. My head won't go there. No. mm -mm. Once the suitcase was in the trunk, he headed back to Nana's house. Thankfully, when he got home, his grandmother was still sleeping soundly upstairs in her bedroom, so he was able to sneak Stephen's body down to the basement to begin his process of disposing of his second victim at at Granny's house. Yeah, I do a lot of I did a lot of things at my Nana's house. This wasn't one of them. Well, I would sure as hell hope not. (laughs) Can you imagine? I've done a lot of things at my Nana's house. This was definitely (laughs) definitely there. (laughs) <laughs> no, are you kidding me? I had to eat food over the sink at my Nana's house. Disposing of a body in her basement? Unheard of. Oh, fuck no. I'd be the one who was getting disposed of after that. Even though he knew it would take several hours to cover up his crime, he still found time to rape Stephen's lifeless body and masturbate to the corpse before getting uh, down to business. Come on. Does he have no class? Rachel. <laughs> Sweetie. This is Jeffrey Dahmer we're talking about. He does not have class. As much as he likes to think he does or likes like to think he did, no. Mm-hmm. Jeff would dismember Stephen and slice the flesh and muscles from his body before placing his body parts in garbage bags, which he simply threw in the trash. 
He again smashed the bones with a sledgehammer until they became a fine powder and then flushed that powder down the toilet. So he had learned a lot from his first kill nine years earlier and was able to speed up the process considerably. And once the job was done, it was as if nothing had ever happened in Granny's basement. God. He did, however, keep some souvenirs for himself. Mm -mm. And you've probably heard this part of the story and just don't remember. Mm. So he kept Stephen's head and genitals and genitals and genitals and using the skills that he learned as a child he bleached steven's head to preserve it and kept it in a lockbox, which he then would use the head for sexual purposes later on oh come on yeah so no class <laughs> none none any question of class out of the window yeah once again, Jeff had committed the perfect murder with no one being any wiser to his nighttime escapades. But didn't anybody see at the hotel Stephen go with him? I don't. This is the 80s. They may not have had that same kind of surveillance that we're used again, to seeing now. Wild right? time. Um, little did he know that his grandmother and his father were becoming suspicious of Jeffrey's strange behavior. So clearly they were not thinking he was murdering people and raping corpses and all of that kind of stuff. Mm -mm. But they were suspicious nonetheless. And Jeffrey was totally oblivious to this, of course, because he's living in his little fantasy world mm -hmm. now. He's, you know, committing murder. He's just getting the swing of things. So yeah. Jeff had kept the head in the lockbox in the closet of his room at his grandmother's house. And one morning while Lionel was over having breakfast, his worry over his son's behavior got the best of him. And he decided to search Jeffrey's room just to see what was going on with his son. See if he could get any clues. Uh -huh. And after just a few minutes of poking around, he found the box. Please tell me it was Stephen's locked. Head. Obviously it was locked. <laughs> But, like, no key, no code. No, no. So he had no idea wasn't it was inside, but it was very heavy. So assuming it was probably a box full of porn, or as Lionel likes to call it, pornographic literature. Right, yes. Lionel brought it downstairs and confronted his son about it. Lionel was quoted in an interview as saying, It was about a one-foot square box, metal and wood. I thought it contained pornographic literature. My mother, I didn't want her to come into contact with any of that stuff. No smut. No smut for Grandma. And I hate to say it, Lionel, but I don't know how many siblings Lionel had. It's nothing Grandma hasn't seen before. <laughs> Let's just say we don't need to shield the grandmas of the world mm. from porn. They can handle it. But as we all know, the box did not contain porn and Jeff was starting to sweat. I wish it did contain porn. He knew he could not let his father open that box. So a small argument did break up. Uh, kind of broke out about privacy. Jeff was like, can I have one square foot of privacy? And mm -hmm. his father was like, no, show me what's in the box. What's and in the box? What's in the box? <laughs> I wondered if um, that whole sequence in Seven was based mm. on Jeffrey Dahmer's head in a box. Ooh. Just saying. I don't know if it was, but it could be. It's Loosely little... based is what I'm going with. Yeah. Eventually, Lionel decided he was going to take the box to the basement and break it open. But before he got that chance, Jeff, who had gone outside to calm down during the argument, came back inside, now nice and calm, saying to his dad, okay, it's porn. You got me. There's so much porn in there. It's, it's, it's sickening. I don't want you to see it. Yeah. He's like, I'll get rid of it. Just give me the box. But his dad was not satisfied. He wanted to see the porn. So Lionel. Good, Lionel. Lionel, you rock. But also, why do you want to see porn so badly, Lionel? Just because asking. he knew he was lying. Oh, no, he thought it was porn. Never mind. 
Yeah. Ooh, Lionel wanted to add to his collection. <laughs> Maybe. So Jeff said that if he let him take the box upstairs, he would get the key and open it up and show him the porn. His father relented. He gave his son the box and Jeffrey did open the box. Big mistake. Just not in front of anyone. Mm-hmm. He took the box up to his room. He switched the head out for porn. And this is a strange detail that I read. He switched it out for straight porn. Because he still... He wasn't ready to come out. Wasn't ready to come out. Even though he has a fucking head in a box. I still mean, do- secrets. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so he brought down the porn and showed it to his... Gra- his uh, Sorry, not his grandma. He brought it down for his father to see and the crisis was averted. And mm. this close call did nothing to dissuade Jeffrey from committing more murders. In fact, if anything, it only reinforced the fact that he was able to sweet, sweet talk his way out of any trouble that might arise. Ugh. So, and he was, like, if you watch interviews with him, he is very, like, articulate, well-spoken, calm, and it it, it really is, like I said, it disarms you. Mm-hmm. You almost forget that he's... A, a vicious murderer? A fucking disgusting freak of shit. nature. After the murder of Steve Tuomi, uh, Jeff's serial co- killer instinct was in full swing. He was quoted as saying, after the second time, it seemed like the compulsion to do it was too strong, and I didn't even try to stop it after that. Come on. Control your urges. I know. By 1988, Jeffrey would go full balls into serial killer mode, luring, drugging, and raping men in his grandmother's home before killing them and dismembering them in her basement. Like, no respect for grandma at all. No. His next victim... Okay, guys, this involves a kid, so... Oh, come on. Trigger warning. It's... Yeah, this is a child. Okay. Um, His next victim was a 14-year-old boy named James Dockstader. Mm. he met the boy who was this is a quote from the book prostituting and i'm sorry you are 14 you cannot be a prostitute no you're being sex trafficked sex trafficked Mm -hmm. even if you're doing it by your own accord Mm -hmm. or on your own Mm -hmm. choice it's child abuse Mm -hmm. so he was prostituting on the street outside a gay club and jeffrey lured him back to his house by offering him money to do a new photo shoot the two mm. drank some beers and had consensual sex, as Dahmer calls it. I don't call it that, but it is no what it ma'am. is. Before Jeff drugged the boy, strangled him, and had sex with his dead body. Ugh. Rest now, in peace, James. Now, according to some sources, Dahmer kept James's body in his grandmother's basement for upwards of a week. Oh, returning, come on. Yeah. So he would return to it several times for sexual purposes, and he would later dismember the body in the same way he had Steve Twomey. Two months later, Jeff would meet another man by the name of Richard Guerrero. Richard was somewhere between 21 and 23 years old, and Jeff picked him up at one of the other clubs he frequented. Mm -hmm. And just like with James Dockstader, Jeff convinced Richard to come back to his place with the promise of $50 for nude photos. He proceeded to complete his now-emerging pattern of engaging in consensual sex before drugging his victim with sleeping pills, strangling him, and defiling the corpse. So, with uh, Richard Guerrero, Jeff would lay with the body for hours before once again dismembering him and simply, this time, throwing the garbage or throwing the remains in a garbage bag. Like, ugh. Just no respect. Like, you're fucked. I just want to tell a story that I forgot to put in at the beginning of this, and I don't know how I forgot it. This is about the, um, I believe, the Stephen Hicks murder. Mm. The, his first murder. So when he got rid of Stephen Hicks's body, I don't, don't even ask me how I forgot about this, but I'm going to throw this in here, not to like confuse anyone and jump around on the timeline, but he also dismembered Stephen Hicks and put him into garbage bags. 
And he went to go take Stephen Hicks to the dump before he eventually put him in the crawl space. Mm -hmm. And what he, so he put all the body parts into the garbage bag and he was on his way out to the dump and got pulled over by the police. What? And because he had swerved across the line, right? Probably so nervous because he's had a body in his car. And probably drunk. Yeah, and that too. he ended up telling, so this just goes back to like how he can just sweet talk his way out of anything, right? Mm-hmm. He would tell the police that he was upset about his parents' recent divorce and that he was doing some chores for his mom and thought he would just take the garbage out to the dump. And even though he was drunk and swerving all over the road, the police officer basically said that, um, you know, like, go home, the dump is closed, you're not going anywhere tonight, get back on the road, here's a fine for swerving over the line, get out of here wow he did and then that's how Stephen hicks i can't believe i forgot to tell that part of the story but that's just shows you that like he really can just talk his way and like no wonder these men will come with him yeah you know well he's the master of manipulation yeah all right so in april of 1988 jeff met his next victim ronald flowers Mm. his usual plan was put into action but before he was able to murder ronald his grandmother woke up, sending Jeff's plan completely awry. Uh-oh. It turns out that Grandma heard Jeff and Ronald uh, kind of messing around in the bedroom, and mm-hmm. she called out to Jeffrey to remind him that he wasn't allowed to have visitors that late at night. <laughs> Jeffrey, it's two in the morning. <laughs> Jeffrey panicked, but eventually realizing the monumental predicament he was in, decided the best course of action would be to take Ronald to the hospital and drop him off. Now, he had drugged Ronald already, so Ronald oh, yeah. was out of it i was gonna say why the hospital but okay when he finally came to he wasn't able to give very much information to hospital staff and police and the police basically brushed it off as like this is the 80s so they were kind of like go be gay over there this is a domestic dispute between gay lovers we want nothing to do with it right and jeffrey once again got off scot-free and like ronald couldn't remember like jeffrey's name or where he had taken him or anything like that all he knew is that he was drugged and he had been raped So, with Jeff's murderous urges accelerating, he knew that he was going to have to find his own place after the Mm -hmm. grandma incident and the Ronald Flowers incident. Can't have that happening again. Yeah, he didn't want to draw any suspicion from his family about what he was up to. So, in September of 1988, he would move into his first apartment on 808 North 24th Street. Mm -hmm. He would only be there for one day before christening the unit with his next victim. Wow, he wasted no time. No. How many are we at right now? That sounds... So we've gotten to three murders. Wow. Oh, right, because Ronald, he didn't kill. No, four murders, because we had Stephen Hicks. Yeah. Steve Tuomi. James. James Doxtator and um, Richard uh, Guerrero. Okay. In a short time, too, it seems. In a short time. So he took to the streets hunting for the perfect victim when he saw a 13-year-old... Laotian mm. boy, who I'm going to call K. I've only seen this boy's name printed in one source, and I haven't mm. heard anyone else use his name in any documentaries, any other podcasts, or any other books that I read. So it's I'm, protected? I'm going to call him K because I don't know what the situation is there. Okay. Um, and I'm assuming he's probably still alive and probably doesn't want his name in this, so I'm not oh. going to say it, but I'm going to call him K. Well, I like that he's still alive. Yes. So again... Jeffrey offered Kay money to pose nude for photos, and the boy accepted his offer. Once in Jeffrey's apartment, he drugged Kay's coffee, and when the sleeping pills kicked in, he started molesting him. Mm. Kay started to feel sick, and somehow he managed to get away. 
from Jeffrey, Leafy Herman, and yes. when his parents saw the state that their child was in, they took him directly to the hospital. Oh, good. They're like, something's wrong. Mm-hmm. After pumping the boy's stomach, the hospital staff ended up filing a police report on his behalf. Good. Because a minor was involved in this case, the police took the situation way more seriously than they did with Ronald Flowers. And the neighborhood that Jeffrey lived in was a primarily not white community. Okay. So Jeff really stood out in this community and the boy was able to point out where he was and who he was with really easily. Good. He Jeffrey ended up being charged with exploitation of a minor and a second degree sexual assault. Dahmer pleaded guilty and paid his $2,500 bail out of his own pocket. Mm. He ended up making a plea bargain after pleading guilty to felony sexual assault. And he ended up receiving an eight year suspended sentence. So How that, do these charges just keep getting piled on, but no like big deal. Tossed. Yeah. So he was required to serve one year in jail. And he was also placed on probation for two years. Unreal. Yeah. So because of this, Jeff was forced to move back in to Grandma Dahmer's house for financial reasons, obviously. Mm -hmm. And knowing that he was going to jail in the near future, Jeff worked quickly to work in one more murder to satisfy his urges. Uh, Gotta hold him over. Yeah. On the night of March 29th, 1989, Jeff met a man named Anthony Sears at a local gay bar. Now, Sears was a part-time model, so when Jeff offered him money for nude photos, he excitedly accepted. He was like, this is mm-hmm. legit, must be, I have to do it. But of course... Paid gig, let's get yeah. this. But of course, this was not Jeff's only plan. Because, just mind you, he is taking no. these pictures and keeping them. But this was not his only plan. Right. And Anthony Sears met the same fate as the victims that came before him. Oh, rest in peace, Anthony. This time, though, Jeff, once again, he ended up keeping the head and genitals of Anthony Mm. in the same box that he used for Steve Tuomi. So just uh, to backtrack a little bit, because of the method he used to preserve Steve Tuomi's head and genitals, the head Mm -hmm. ended up being really brittle and, like, shattering eventually. So he needed a new head, obviously. Yeah. Now, Jeff knew that he was heading to jail, so he did not want to keep that box at his grandmother's house. No. Instead, he decided that he would keep the box hidden, get this, at work at the chocolate factory. Oh, no. Until his sentence was served. Oh, no. And since his sentence was actually um, a, it was a work release program, he could check up on the head and have his way with it during his night shifts. Like, no remorse. <laughs> no. Whoa. And also, it's a little unprofessional, Jeffrey, to be doing that sort of thing at work. Just saying. And, like, how does he even still have a job? The chocolate factory loved him. I guess so. Turn <laughs> out that good chocolate. Yeah. Now, Jeffrey was a bit of a loner in prison, and there are conflicting reports from inmates regarding this time. But nonetheless, he was described by prison officials as being a great inmate with a clean prison record. Because of this, on Thanksgiving of 1989, he was granted a 12-hour furlough to visit his family over the holiday. Oh, come on. Yeah, of course. I'm surprised, I'm sure you will be, that he wouldn't use this time as he as it was planned to be used. Mm-hmm. And instead of going to see his grandmother like he was expected to... He spent the next 12 hours getting drunk and looking for a victim. Fortunately, he got so wasted that he blacked out 
and when he woke up, he found himself in a stranger's apartment being raped with a candlestick. Oh, wow, the tables have turned. Unfortunately, Jeff's rapist let him go, and he returned to jail just a few hours later than he was uh, expected to be there, and was not reprimanded for this. Lateness. Two weeks after the Thanksgiving incident, Jeff wrote a letter to the judge who sentenced him asking for early release. At the same time, in an effort to help his son, Lionel Dahmer also wrote the judge begging him to keep Jeffrey in jail so that he could hopefully get the help he needed in respect to his alcoholism. Wow. But it was to no avail. And after reviewing the case, the judge decided that Jeff was no longer a threat to society and his early release was granted. You are fucking healed. Imagine. Now, Jeff was not allowed to move back into his grandmother's house after his release for obvious reasons. Mm Mm-hmm. But he was able to save up some money while in jail, which he used to get his own place. In May of 1990, he moved into an apartment at a complex known as the Oxford Street Apartments on 924 924 North 25th Street. After serving 10 months in jail, Jeff was finally living on his own and free to once again prowl the streets of Milwaukee, preying on innocent men who were none the wiser to his vicious plans. Mm Mm-hmm. So, this is where we're going to leave things. Okay. For today. Because this is where we get into a lot of the real, real heavy murders. Not that the rest of them weren't heavy. Murder in itself. He was, like, kind of just getting started. Just getting started here. And we're going to really get into what Jeffrey goes on to in our next episode. So, stay tuned for that. Like, uh, I don't even know what to think. So we are, how many murders did we say in? About four, five murders five, in? I think, yeah, maybe six now. There are seven <gasps> murders total, total. So we still have seven or eight left to go. Oh my gosh. Rest in peace to all the victims that we've covered so far. Yes. And I can only imagine, given that you already said that he is the Milwaukee cannibal, I do not like what's coming up. <laughs> No, you will not like it, but it needs to be told in order to tell the story completely. Yeah. So Uh, we're going to leave it there. And yeah. Well, thanks for giving me nightmares tonight, Erica. (laughs) I appreciate that. You're very welcome. Um, I'm going to go off and watch the John Wayne Gacy documentary now. (laughs) I need to watch something lighthearted. Wish me luck. (laughs) Right. Good luck. Yeah. (laughs) All right, everyone. Thanks for listening. That was episode 10, part one. So episode 10, part one. (laughs) Again, I cannot believe that I've made it 10 episodes. I never thought I would. I never stick with something this long. It's your dream. It's your passion. I I was going to say my my gym membership would be so proud. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Anyways, thank you all for listening. Remember to follow us on Instagram. I've been posting a lot of things yes you have you're quite the the ig or now <laughs> i know for somebody who never liked uh social media before i've been really up on the story crime instagram so if anybody ever wants to talk to me on there just hit me up i'll yeah. respond i always <laughs> respond um but yeah you can follow us there at story crime pod and you can send us an email at storycrimepod at gmail.com. And guys, I also set up a Twitter. So if you want to follow us on Twitter, you it, did. <laughs> I did. There's nothing on there, really, except for the same things you find on Instagram. But if you want to follow me on Twitter, maybe I'll put some 
quirky remarks up there for you all. Um, I have a confession. I don't know how to Twitter. That's okay. I don't know how to Snapchat. Okay. We sound old. I know. And neither one of us know how to TikTok, so... (laughs) We are good. Um, so yeah, if you want to follow follow me on Twitter, it's the same. It's at Story Crime Pod, just like our Instagram. So yeah, cool. Anyways, all right. Well, have well, a good night. I will. I hope you don't have too many nightmares, Rachel. I'll try you. not to. <laughs> okay. Bye. Bye.